Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 197 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And today, we'll be discussing the biggest storylines from UFC Vegas 61, the passing of Antonio Inoki, Daniel Cormier's plea to Luke Rockhold to stay retired, Jamal Hill's UFC game snub, and more. But first, I gotta get your take on Bellator's commentary, since I just saw you tweeting about it. Okay, I um I, I get it. I, I just I understand why people are so uh, uh, critical of it because again, it, it catches me off guard. I don't usually watch fights with the commentary on unless you know maybe if I have an opportunity. For some reason, I kind of get this masochistic urge. You know, let me see what's going on over here with this, and it's like, oh Jesus, what is? No, 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 no. I, I had more. I took more exception to Josh Thompson and some of the stuff that he had to say, primarily as the fallout and. And even during the um, uh, the 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 Aaron Pico situation, which I'm sure we're going to get to later, but uh, yeah, Big John, I you know, man, I I, I don't. I, I don't know, man. I don't know what you really do with a guy like that. He he does bring some valuable insight, but unfortunately, you have to sift through a lot of um, not great bias in his commentary to get to it. Indeed. I was not a fan of the way that in the lead up when they're doing their they're unveiling the fighter packages and they're doing their talking up of each fighter and everything. Now, I understand Patricio has been a very dominant champion, but for him to talk up Adam Borich the way that he did, but not give any proper credit to Patricio in that that same package was, in my opinion, egregious. But then you get into the commentary and there was one part. Patricio is basically riding Adam Boric. I mean, just riding him like a mechanical bull on the easy setting. I mean, he was hanging in there. And Big John says... Well, Patricio's winning the round, but he's really not doing much. And I was aghast. I just could not get over it. And then you have Josh Thompson, too, there. You know, just, boy, his commentary during Aaron Pico's fight and the uh, the injury. My God. Man, what was he thinking? Well, you know, you, you can't, I, I understand the whole fighting spirit, you know, you try, you kind of try to cheat your way, you know, past the doctor to get, to, to keep going while you're injured, but that's not thinking long-term and you don't want to do that to a kid who's only 26, uh, who, he, who loses nothing as a result of what happened in this fight. I mean, you could easily rebook this a year from now and it'll be a far more, you know, it, 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 circumstances will most likely be the same between now and then. Like, there's no real reason for that to happen. So, you know, it, like this, it's, it's sort of like uh, the adage of yesterday's price ain't today's price. The game from yesterday ain't the game today. You know, when, when, when Thompson was fighting in a title fight with the, what was it? A torn ACL, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, look, hats off to you, man. He was a great champion and he was a hell of a fighter. It didn't get the recognition that he deserved at the time, especially for doing that. That was ballsy. 
but this isn't the same situation and it's a different day it's not it's it's just not the same not at all and further what if the clavicle injury had been a break i mean oh my god brandon gibson yanking on that arm like that could have done a lot more damage i am not a fan of what they did in that corner no and and that's the other thing too because the doctor mentioned that the possibility of it being a clavicle uh fracture and then you got Brandon Gibson in there going up and down with the arm and up and down and out. And it's like the only thing missing was like Mike Winklejohn pulling Aaron's ear and then and then uh, Greg Jackson blowing in the other ear. And then the next thing you'd be hearing is like you wouldn't this 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 is if you're emulating a Three Stooges bit, maybe you need to call the fight. Indeed. (laughs) Now we are going to move on to UFC Vegas 61. And Mackenzie Dern let us down again. There's no two ways about it. She has a very clear ceiling. And until she gets some wrestling under her, it's always going to be a case like this, especially with bigger girls that don't fall immediately to her massive amounts of control in a round. Because she did have a lot of control in rounds two and five. In round five, she even had a pretty decent submission locked in. But you know what? Jan was just too strong. And so she was able to get out of the submission. And further, Mackenzie's pitter-patter punches when she has mount aren't doing uh, what she thinks they're doing. And by this current rule set, by the new criteria, I couldn't give her a 10-8 in either of those rounds because, again, pitter-patter punches and the one submission she managed to get locked on very late in the fifth round was shaken right off. So. Yeah, um, I actually slightly disagree. I, I think that the most... Um, I think that the most beneficial thing maybe to her game specifically is to seek out somebody like a Travis Stevens, you know, find the best judoka that you can train with and start implementing that because she can at least use her clinch and then start to transition to her takedowns. They're going to see her shots coming from a mile away. I don't think she's got the kind of explosiveness to make her wrestling what it could be. But, you know, look, she's amazing on the ground, but it's the grand conundrum of a lot of jiu-jitsu fighters that make the transition to MMA. What happens when you can't quite get that takedown to get it where you need it to be? And even when it was on the ground, she was able to control a lot. She was able to land a lot of strikes. Uh, she outstruck Jan with for the entirety of the fight. but With very mm-hmm. soft punches, though. Right, exactly. It wasn't It wasn't enough to do the kind of damage that Jan was doing to her. So that that much there, it's like... You know, if you're working on volume and control, sure, but that's not the only part of the game. And that's kind of where I feel like maybe, maybe, just maybe, she would benefit more from having uh, adding more more judo to her game and starting to uh, work the takedowns from there. Because, look, she's already got Perillo. Uh, her boxing defense is – it started off – it's awful. It started off a little better than usual, but then it just eventually kept declining. I don't reverts. know. I don't know how. To... That's the problem. She reverts. When yes. you've trained jujitsu since you were three years old, it's really hard to learn or unlearn things around that. But her punching, it never gets better, despite the fact that she's got an excellent striking coach. It yes. never gets better. Yeah, and and that's that's ultimately the real shame here. You know, like I I think that she still has some uh, capacity for growth. 
you know, I do think that she's able to to make the changes that she needs to make, but it's it's going to take some uh, it's going to take some some moves that I don't know that she's going to make them. You know, it's it's you'd have to look at the what kind of structure there is around her training. Also, I would like to give props to Team Alpha Male for their incredible work with Yun. I mean, oh yeah, she looked phenomenal. Their coaching in the corner was excellent now i had issue with them a couple of weeks back when they were they sent somebody out they were trying to send somebody out um song song and dong Mm. with that nasty cut into the fifth round they were determined and if the ref hadn't uh excuse me the uh doctor hadn't stopped it uh, before the fifth round started they would have sent them out he was telling them in the corner i can't see and they were telling him you've just got one fucking round to go get out there blah 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 but this this cornering that they did last night with Jan was very, very good. They were precise with their instruction, and she followed it well, too. Yeah. I was very impressed with them, and they're doing good work. And uh, John Nash pointed out why. You know, they're a team that's primarily concerned with the lower weight classes. Yeah. So it's a great fit for the ladies to get in there and get real-time experience on the mat inside the gym. Uh, They've got the proper size people to grapple with and and to spar with and everything. It's a pretty complete camp if you're in the smaller weight divisions or you're a woman. I really dig the way that they they cornered her. Yeah, that's absolutely the... uh... One of the, one of the gyms that's back on the come up, you know, these things happen in terms of like um, peaks and valleys, right? We've seen black zillions go up and down. We've seen AKA go up and down, but right now AKA, uh, you know, they're they're not they're not maybe the the gym that runs the planet the way they did, but Alpha Male doing some impressive work there. They're making strides just like uh, just like City Kickboxing is doing now, where they look like they can do no wrong, you know. So and it's. Uh, it's interesting. Let's see. Let's hope that it holds. And uh, I, I really hope that we're able to suss out what it is that they're doing, what changes they've made to have that kind of success that they've been having as of late. Let's talk about the co-main event, Randy Brown, Francisco Trinaldo. And I got to hand it to you, Victor. You almost came in here and won. Now, here's the thing. I, I don't have a problem with the decision. I do feel that Randy Brown won. There's no two ways about it. He did. However, he has also a clear ceiling because he's not ranked. But when he takes the step up into the ranked territory like he did with Vicente Luque, that's when he falters. And he struggles against really strong guys like Trinaldo. Trinaldo's 44 freaking years old. And he gave Brown a very tough fight. Much tougher than it should have been for someone as explosive and dynamic and with all the physical advantages that Brown has, it should have been a much easier fight for him, but it wasn't. Further, Brown showboating there definitely came close to costing him the fight. Okay, see, I have a <laughs> I have a caveat here. I, I don't really blame him for that. Number one, stylistically, Trinaldo's the kind of guy that's not that easy to look good against. Mm-hmm. And number two, you also look at the fact that Trinaldo has a secret weapon. You know, Costa has his secret juice. Trinaldo's been using that secret serum that old guys in fighting games and kung fu movies have. That dude's 700 years old and he's still out there flying and throwing kicks and shit. Yeah, guess what? Trinaldo got the Brazilian version of that. So, you know, like you know randy was working uphill a little bit uh no but seriously randy's a he's a big 
big dude at welterweight. I didn't realize until this fight for some reason, like that dude is he's tall and and he's got uh, he's got a, a strong. Um, you know, he's, he's got like, he's just a super lean dude, not skinny. So he's carrying a lot of muscle mass on him. And uh, I would think that maybe he'd use that to bully guys a little more, but it didn't really seem like that was uh, the case here. Trinaldo hung tough. It was a competitive fight. I don't want to give him, I don't want to give Brown too much stick over not looking maybe more dominant in this particular fight. Although I do think that the showboating, a bit unwarranted. I mean, come on, like we already, but Brown- we, like you're already winning. You don't need to do that. But Brown has been struggling, though, against lesser competition. The, the yeah. split with chaos, uh, just just getting the decision over Jared Gooden. I mean, that should have been a fight that did not go all the way to decision, but it did because he struggles still with subpar competition. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. yes, I know he got the one arm rear naked choke over Alex Oliveira, but I mean, it was over Alex Oliveira. He's going to have to do more to impress me and I'm going to be very cautious picking him in the future because he struggles so hard with guys that are at his level or beneath him. So I, I just, I think that you were on the, you were on the right path there. I, you know, maybe if it hadn't been a 44 year old guy and somebody around the same age, body size, et cetera, as Randy Brown, we might've seen Randy Brown taking an L. Probably. All right. Next up, though, somebody that we both like a whole heck of a lot. Honey Barcelos. Man, he's looking so damn good. Woo. Trevin Jones didn't have a single thing to offer him. Yeah, he um he ran the table on that one. That was there's not really that much to say. Dude was just able to outgun him and outwork him in almost every facet. So uh very impressive performance. I feel a little bad for Trevin, but man, that's you know, Barcelo's proven once again that he's a problem. And uh I don't think there should be uh, the sort of fight that we should judge Jones harshly against because I mean, you know, it's it's hard to look good against Barcelos. You know, dude is is causing a lot of problems. He's clearly someone who is destined for bigger things, and he's making his way up to the top in some uh, in 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 due time. Let's say, yeah. Now we had Sodiq Yusuf. Dude just impresses, impresses, impresses. He got the guillotine choke over Don Shanus at the 32nd mark. And Don Shanus came into this fight, you know, he, he was a pretty decent dude. He's not some chump. Yes, I realize he was a late replacement for Giga Chikadze, but he was not some terrible guy that... um that came in and was just awful, you know. He he was pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, there's not too much to add to that. That's that's yeah. That's pretty much the extent of it. I just wish that Sodiq Yusuf wasn't with Team Lloyd Orvin. Yeah, that's the big strike against him, honestly. And I mean, he's done well despite that. But um, unfortunately. You know, all, all the other misgivings aside, that that team does have a limited um, scope for growth, as we've seen with other prospects that they've had in the past, unfortunately. Yeah, unless you're a real standout like Yusuf, I mean, you basically don't thrive there. Yusuf is thriving in spite of it. Yes. All right, so we're gonna get to the second to the last fight that we picked, but I'm gonna I'm gonna select one or two more that we're gonna take a quick look at. But Mike Davis 
defeating Vyacheslav Borshev. Uh, that's the other alpha male product. He did pretty well. He did better in the later rounds, whereas Mike Davis did better in the first two rounds. I didn't have a problem with the decision. I didn't have a problem with the fight. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't spectacular. It was a fight that happened that I watched. But what stood out to me for Mike Davis is that he got on the mic and he made a specific plea. He made a, a plea for people to follow his social media so he could get more fights, not better fights, more fights. And I saw several people basically dragging him for it. I saw a couple of memes saying thirsty, people talking about how he was begging, blah, blah, blah. But what you got to realize is that this is how... The UFC actually comes out and says they want their fighters to do. I mean, during the fights, the UFC puts up the fighters' hashtags for their social media. John Anik and the rest of the gang tell you where to follow them at because the UFC is very big on your social imprint being huge. Mm-hmm. They you to promote the fights. They don't want to do it anymore. So when he asked that, He wasn't begging. He wasn't being thirsty. He's trying to get freaking fights. Do him a favor. Follow him. Dana White has said himself that if you move the needle, you go to the front of the line when they're handing out fight assignments. Yeah, I I don't understand how you can if you in light of that, it makes perfect sense. And I, I guess it's not it's not as bad or as pathetic as when you see these guys begging for bonuses, which I don't think is pathetic because of the fighters. I think it's pathetic because of the fact that they shouldn't be in a position to have to ask for that kind of money in the first place. But here the guy isn't asking for anything else. All he's asking for, hey, man, follow me. I'm pretty cool. I'm pretty funny. If I get my numbers up, I probably get to come out here and entertain you guys a little more. That's that's really all it is. And on top of that, I get to extend my career, put a roof over my head. That's all he did. And yet people are always going to do this is what happens when the culture is so, um, so, so dragged in by what the mentality was back in the 90s. Right. When you still when well, not even the 90s, but like the early aughts, you know, when it was the, the, the UFC was us against the world. And you did have genuine forces that were trying to stifle the efforts of the organization and the sport. We're not in those days anymore, man. The company is not your friend. Simping for them will gain you nothing, especially not for the fighters. So he's not asking for anything other than what will cost you literally nothing. Go out there on social media, follow one of his accounts. That's it. That's all he's saying. He ain't got to tweet him every day. He ain't got to, you know, walk his dog and none of that. It's like just the man asked for very, very little. And in exchange, he's getting all this. It just seemed very ridiculous to me. Right. And you could always follow him. And if you don't want to see his tweets, put him on mute. It's so simple. Anyways, I'm going to talk about a fight very, very briefly that we did not pick. But I was so impressed with the. the John Castaneda, Daniel Santos. Fight. Oh man! Oh man! Oh, what a comeback, right? Yeah. See, personally, that one kind of stung because I mean, I've, I've met John, and um, I I really don't have anything but really great things to say about him because dude impressed me. You know, I mean, you look at a dude who's like a true professional and like he lives and breathes this game. You know, like a lot of guys, but but he, you know, like when you see a dude, like damn, I want that dude to do great because he's just like he's doing everything right. You know what I'm saying? You get yeah. one of those dudes like damn, I, I want to see that dude shine. And you know, on paper, I felt 
that John was the better fighter coming into the match. And in the first round, it kind of proved why I felt that. But then the comeback happened. It's like, oh, boy, I don't know if John was spent in the second or maybe Daniel just figured out like, OK, you know what? I, I know what I need to do and made the proper adjustments. And, you know, like I'm not trying to take away anything from either guy. But damn, what a hell of a fight. I'm just glad it did some consolation that at least both of them got a bonus out of that. Mm -hmm, For sure. Yeah. Now, the final fight that we're going to talk about, Ilir Latifi defeating Alexi (laughs) Olianik. Yeah, that certainly happened. That was a fight, right? Yeah, it was a fight. Yeah, yeah, that happened. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. Oh, God. And then what made me mad was the interview. I was okay with the fight. Look, bad fights are bad fights. Like, you're always rolling the dice. I say this all the time. You're always rolling the dice in in anything. You could be watching a baseball game or a much-anticipated football game or basketball game. Sometimes you're going to have a stinker. It doesn't – it's just a thing that happens. Your your satisfaction is not always guaranteed. Your expectations will not always be met. This right here, it's not like there were high expectations and it still stunk up the joint, but it's okay. You had two wobbly wooden uh, heavyweights that are kind of chunky and it's like I'm not even mad at that because I expect that. And and heavyweight is not exactly the most action-packed division despite what some promoters would want you to believe. But then dude comes out here and is like, oh, yeah, I got a fever right now. I got a staph infection. Like, not good, bro. Damn. Not good at all. But anyways, that is going to wrap up our storylines from the weekend's fight. And now we're going to move into our first news topic. And it is a sad one. But I feel that Antonio Inoki deserves everything we can give him and about 10 zillion times more as far as tribute. And I searched high and low throughout lots of articles and I found one from NPR that was basically a tribute to him so I'm going to read from this some of the amazing things that Antonio Inoki did over the course of his life his achievements both in professional wrestling and the global global community are without parallel and will never be forgotten now that is the lead statement from All Japan Wrestling, and I thought that was beautiful. And that's the the very first quote that they put in here. Now I'm going to continue reading. Kanji Antonio Inoki was born in Yokohama, Japan in 1943, but spent most of his childhood in Brazil where his family relocated. There, Inoki found a passion for professional wrestling and took on the name Antonio. He was soon recruited by Riki Dozan, one of the most famous Japanese wrestlers of all time, and returned to Tokyo to join the Japanese Wrestling Association. He quickly became widely popular for his versatility and charisma in the ring. Years later, he went on to start his own wrestling company called New Japan Pro Wrestling in 1972. He reached global fame in 1976 when he faced Muhammad Ali in a rare wrestler versus boxer match in Tokyo, and it is credited for pioneering what is today known as mixed martial arts. Out of the ring, Inoki was known for his attempts to forge peace and diplomacy through sports. In 1990, 
He was instrumental in freeing 36 Japanese hostages held in Iraq. During his lifetime, he made more than 30 trips to North Korea, serving as one of Japan's few links to the authoritarian regime. And most notably, he organized two large sporting extra extravaganzas, one in 1995 and the other in 2014, held in Pyongyang to garner international attention. Now, the first event was known as Collision in Korea, and it drew nearly 380,000 spectators and was considered the biggest pay-per-view in pro wrestling history. In 1998, Inoki retired as a wrestler, and in 2010, he was inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame. He is technically considered WWE's first ever Japanese world champion, but that title has yet to be recognized by them. Now, they, they have a statement of their own, and it says, Antonio Inoki was among the most respected men in sports entertainment and a bona fide legend in his homeland. This passion for competition earned him the nickname Moeru Tukon amongst his peers, which translates to the fighting spirit that burns. And I think that's a perfect name for him. But I think what I remember him most for is watching him slap the shit out of anyone that was <laughs> insolent, that spoke wrong, that looked at him wrong, that breathed wrong. And I just loved it. That right hand came from all the way from Japan, I feel like, when he was smacking the shit out of you. And watching people, his fans, line up so that they could get smacked by him was amazing. Yeah, I, I'm, you know what, man, like, I'm sad in a way, but there's people that pass away. And you, you I'm kind of like... I'm happy that he got to live such a full and happy life. Mm -hmm. You know, he had his frustrations and his struggles, but he was instrumental to a lot of these things that, that as you mentioned, right, like the North Korea situation where he was essentially the centerpiece because he was the, uh, the the protege of Ricky Dozan, who you'd mentioned. Ricky Dozan being a, a, a Japanese uh, wrestler of Korean descent and being seen in uh, still in the North Korean uh, eyes as something of a hero because he was, I believe he was still from the northern region so he was he was respected and brought in as like a representative of that and he was seen as as someone who's carrying on the tradition of Ricky Dozan uh, the story of collision in Korea is a really fascinating one it, it's been recounted in a couple of other areas that I'm not going to get too far into it here but I would absolutely seek out the uh, it's on Hulu actually the Vice TV um mini documentary dark side of the ring they had an episode that was a one-hour special specifically on collision in korea and why it was such a big deal why it was so um uh, such a such a such a phenomenon and what the aims of it were and how Inoki was the 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 had the tip of the spear with that uh, the situation with Iraq right being able to go and negotiate he had such recognition he even I believe as a result of that that was his first exposure to Islam he became a convert yes. to Islam for some time uh, after that although I believe he might have reverted to Buddhism afterwards but that's that's neither here nor there what I'm saying is he's he was the kind of guy. There's people that are gullible. They see something and they jump on it. No, no, no. He was a very thoughtful and very open-minded person, even for someone of his day, to the degree where he was always willing to learn more. 
And that's part of what made him such an example. That's what led him to do things like taking the risk of going with the Muhammad Ali match. That's another thing that has many folds and twists and maybe didn't go as originally planned. But um, to do that back then took a lot of foresight and some very massive balls. And trust me, Inoki had a lot of that. Um, One MMA tidbit that I'd recommend that's on YouTube is there's uh, Lyoto Machida uh, meeting uh, Inoki. I'm pretty sure you've seen that one, right, Seth? I have Yes, where he lines up to receive the fabled Inoki slap. And now I'm kind of sad. Like, damn, I always wanted to, like, I always thought, man, it would be cool to go to Japan and get slapped up by that guy because it's like, it's a recognition that you're a tough dude too. You know, there's just something about that. It's it's hokey. I get it. It's probably, you know, a lot of people might see that in the same vein as like the sort of sensei bowing thing. And I know some people find that ridiculous, but there was just something about like a a legitimately tough dude who's seen and done everything seeing you and respecting you and sort of like confirming something of that to you that's that's pretty amazing in and in its own way and so uh you know man look i'm i'm just glad that i was alive around the time he was alive as well and that we got to see so much of him and uh i might repost that um that clip but there's a japanese prank show that had a guy dressed up as spider-man crash through the ceiling (laughs) as inoki was sitting in a green room and i guess inoki took a, a split second calculation and realized okay this is a human being, and oh, he's hanging from the ceiling. That means he can't escape. So he starts slapping the fuck out of that dude. <laughs> and you just hear some heavy grown man slaps like ah, just like, oh my God. It was it's it was rough being in that suit, but now like damn, you're on TV getting slapped up like that in front of your kids. Hard life. You shouldn't have messed with the old man. I mean, you know, <laughs> that scarf, that scarf had some power. You know, before we go on to the next topic, I I see those those videos of him slapping the shit out of someone, and like you, I probably would have uh, lined right up there too. Even yeah. even being a girl, I would have lined up there too to get a little of that transference of power. He probably would have paused and been like, "Oh wait, huh?" He would have thumped this... me on the head like a <laughs> like an insolent child. <laughs> oh wow, that see, but you know what? That would actually still be funny. I'm sure that like, like he'd, he'd still transfer some of that toughness to you. So I don't I don't think that would be that much of a concern. I think being in the same room with him probably would have transferred an immense amount of power to anybody standing there. Probably, maybe <laughs> so. Well, we are going to move on to someone else who is unquestionably tough, and that is Luke Rockhold, who has recently uh, pretty much said goodbye to MMA in all practical manner and is uh, basically, you know, deciding what else to do with his life as he's transitioning into uh, the civilian life yet again. Uh, He was, of course, talked about by his good friend and training partner, former training partner, Daniel Cormier, who had something to say about the status of Rockhold. And he said, Luke, don't come back. It's only been a few weeks and it was absolutely perfect. It couldn't be better because Luke Rockhold has been the guy that has not been loved. But in that performance, he gained the praise of the masses. Not only did he gain the praise of the masses, though, he gained the praise of his opponent in the competition. Paulo Costa came up to me a week later and told me how special it was to share the octagon with Luke. Luke, don't come back. It's fine. Go do jujitsu if you want to. Go to ADCC. The reality is this. Part of the thing about retiring is you miss the rush of being in front of all those people. And it shows itself when you're by yourself. When he's by himself and with his dogs and all those thoughts start to creep in, I can still do this, especially on those days where you feel good. You forget about how bad you feel in there. You got to fight the urge. We all get it. Nah, man, we can't. I can't. Maybe Luke can with some time away, but I would advise for him to stay away. Don't go back, especially not now. We're still kind of riding the wave of what he was in Utah. 
He was universally loved after that last fight. And if you get that, especially when it isn't something you get all the time, you may want to go and recreate that because you start thinking, well, that's my reality. But is it? You don't know. Look, man, I get where people would find this to be somewhat disrespectful or at least not necessarily the most charitable thing or the most uh, uh, the most diplomatic way to phrase it. But I can't really find exception with what Cormier said here. He drops straight facts here. I mean, think about it. He's showing him praise. He's giving him grace. And this is all coming from a place of love. Look, you're not where you used to be. All you're going to do is get your heart broken. I know what it's like to go in there and be dismantled and to have that 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 crushing pain of losing everything once again. We don't need to do that anymore. You have other ventures and other avenues. You can do other things. Please, man, I'm telling you from a place of love. Like that's how I understood it, right? That's how I interpreted that. But I can see where some other people and maybe maybe Luke has uh not super happy about it. I don't know what what really um what, how else he would really choose to interpret it. I would hope that knowing Daniel for as long as he has and that having the bond that they share, that he would know and understand that this is all a matter of him trying to come at this from a place of concern and a, a matter of, of preserving Luke's long-term health and his sanity. But I don't know. Maybe other people might see it that way. I mean, do you think that I mean, do you agree that, that this is all coming from a good place and that uh, maybe this is the right move and the best advice he could give? Or, you know, maybe Luke doesn't need to listen to him. Oh, I think that Luke absolutely needs to listen to him. The problem is, is that Daniel's been saying a lot of things about a lot of fighters and drawing the ire of everyone. And I think that if Luke is going to be among those guys that think that Daniel needs to be quiet. It would be because Luke actually came out and said that if, and I quote that Brazilian guy beats Izzy, I'll probably, I might want to come out of retirement. So he's actually voicing the idea of coming out because as we always say, Victor, they always come back. So he's saying that, and here's Daniel telling him, no, please don't stay retired. I feel like Luke's wanting to come back, and he's looking, he's putting out feelers to get support, and the very first thing he gets is one of his besties saying, don't do it. And while I agree with Daniel, 100,000 million trillion percent that Luke shouldn't come back, I understand why Luke might take that the wrong way. Now, I'm not saying that he has because I haven't seen that, but I have seen other fighters take exception with things that Daniel has said and basically not said anything with venom or vitriol or anything. Daniel just basically can't make a comment these days without being dragged through the coals over it. I realize that he has a show and that he's paid for his opinions, but he's he's getting a lot of heat for his opinions lately. <laughs> yeah, well, he's going to be getting a lot more heat next week when he's a special guest referee oh, at yeah. WWE Extreme Rules. He's going to be there uh, with the Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle match. Matt Riddle, not to not to uh, for for some of you younger whippersnappers who don't remember, former UFC fighter who just could not stay away from the weed. Not that I blame him, but uh, yeah, I it's it's uh that's going to be kind of interesting to see a guy who's such a super mega fan like him being essentially a focal point of a match. 
Also, it should be noted that Matt Riddle, I believe he beat John Jones in a wrestling match when they were in college. Yes, yes, so he did. So you got to wonder if he's going to be Team Matt Riddle or Team Seth Rollins because he's been a Seth Rollins fan for a long time. So yeah, we shall see. Now we're going to move on to Jamal Hill. And the reason we're going to talk about this amazing guy is because he has some questions why some Contender Series alumni are making it into the UFC's latest video game, but he has been snubbed. (laughs) Ever since his surprise submission loss to Paul Craig back in 2021, like it was so long ago, but he's had three fights since, three big wins, so it does seem very far back. Anyways, he's been on an absolute tear, and... Here he is rattling off those three straight wins, including a massive finish over Johnny Walker. I mean, he, he finished uh, Tiago Santos, too, but it took him four rounds. But still, that was because Tiago Santos was not going gently into that dark night. Um, he's been looking for recognition from the pro- promotion, but in recent times, he feels like he has not been appreciated enough. I'm going to quote from his tweet. I was never tripping about being in the game, but this shit is funny. Anything to not promote me, but yet use my ideas and content. I see what it is and I'm good with it. Just miss me with that fake we love him bullshit and all that. If if you know, if you followed his career, he's never been shy. He always speaks up about anything that's on his mind. So here's a guy that's maybe a win or two away from a title shot and he can't even get into the the game. What in the world? I mean, why wouldn't you promote this guy? And he's got a neat story. I mean, he's all of 31. He's got six freaking kids that he takes care of. Six. <laughs> but he's a he's a very hands-on dad. You know, always hands has busy, his, all right. Yeah, he always has his kids with him at the fights and they're all dressed up and he just seems like a, you know, a good dude. Sure, he's he's got a big mouth. Who cares? Isn't that what you guys want? Why wouldn't you want to promote this guy? He's good looking. He can cut a good promo. He fights his ass off. Man, what's not to love about him? Let me let me bring up somebody, a gem of MMA fandom of years past, and that's GFK on MMA. Now, this was an account that's I don't. It's been dormant for some time, but it was basically a dude who was running. He was MMA fandom, but. He was as if it were spoken in the words of Ghostface Killer. And I always like I would crack, dude, I'd crack up so bad. I was howling at the in just any time I was watching fights and I checked Twitter. This dude was delivering nothing but gold. And I want to remind you of this because this is a tweet from May 25th of 2014. OK, TJ Dillashaw had beaten the brakes off of Hannah Burrell. And this is what he had to say. <clears throat> let me let me let me warm up for this. Ah, purple velour. Ha <laughs> Okay. So somewhere in a lonely room at EA Sports, somebody on the 10th hour trying to make a little video game version of TJ Dillashaw. 
Now listen, this was on a Saturday, and it's so messed up because like it's funny because it's true. Some poor intern or some like you know underpaid developer who's barely making rent is in there on a Saturday night, middle of the night, trying to patch this game to put this dude who wasn't even in the game to begin with, despite being ranked, you know, is in the top of his division. Because he just blasted through a champion. And it's kind of messed up because it kind of reminds me of this here in a way. Clearly, the circumstances aren't the same. But Jamal Hill's ranked number six. Like, these guys, you know, Jamal has been on the radar for some time. It doesn't really, you know, it, it takes a while for things to be designed. But for you to, like, you know, get the motion capture and everything, they're they're, they're not... I don't know, man. Like, I understand certain things take a, a certain amount of time. Maybe this is one of those things where they were just, like, going to add him in an update. But it is kind of funny because he has been racking up some wins for some for a fair amount of things. He's, he hasn't been in the UFC too long. But he's been there long enough that you'd think that, you know, he's been winning fights and doing well. That They would have a guy like him in. Like, who did they not include that they had to make space for him not to be there? I, I don't I don't know, man. It just it, – it's super weird. But um, I, I do get the frustrations. I guess they can't really have everybody in. I mean, maybe they could. I don't know why they don't. I get why they do, like, the special packs where you get, uh, you know, legacy fighters like Boss Rutten and Mike Tyson like they've done in years past. But um, people that are – actively already on the roster i don't see why they don't include those guys and you know just just it, it, it keeps working like that and i'm sure that a guy like him wants to go home and make sure that his kids when they fire up their console they can play as their dad but that's not always the reality of what we have here there is precedent for this happening and maybe just maybe he's said the right enough thing and made enough noise that they might include him soon who knows yep i just can't get over the fact that here is one of your better contender series guys alumni and you're putting in all the rest of them but not him he's number six anyways we are going to move on because victor has some one news yeah, and it's not exactly great. It's actually rather unfortunate. So it turns out, if you've been paying attention on uh, Amazon Prime, shout out to Jeff. You know where it's at. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we, I'm sorry. We oh were graced goodness. with what many people are hailing as yet another instant classic in which Angela Lee faced uh, Jing Nanjong, and they just went to war. I mean, they both fought already. They were one and one. Uh, they'd had some pretty fun fights in the past, but this was apparently a barn burner. And in this one, uh, Zhang had some moments where she beat the brakes awfully. I mean, she made her look uh, pretty bad. You know what I mean? It just it just didn't really work out the way that, that uh, Lee and her team were expecting. So... Zhang ended up taking the decision here. She ended up winning and uh, basically uh, defending here and, and, and walking away with the belt and the crown. But it was not without controversy. Zhang Jinan was still very upset because not only did she feel that she didn't get enough, um, I guess, really accolades for this, but Chatri, uh, the uh, head of one championship, actually came out and said that he believed Angela Lee deserved the nod. Now, that was very upsetting to hear because, listen, if you see that fight, at least the, I didn't see the entirety of it, so I'll fully admit that. But you see the parts that I saw and you see the general consensus that's been out there that, in fact, Zhang was able to really put it on Lee and that she should have gotten the decision and she rightfully earned that. 
Well, to have the head of an organization come out and say, actually, I think it should have gone the other way, not exactly great, but especially when it's going in favor of someone that is very clearly a, let's say, uh, someone that the organization has put a lot of promotional effort behind, right? Someone that they clearly see as a bankable star and as a possible face of the organization. And that's no disrespect to Owens Lee. I'm not saying that she's not good. She absolutely is. She's a great fighter and she's done very well. But she came out afterwards and started criticizing the judging structure. Uh, she was not content with the manner in which the fight was scored for that reason. And Chachi basically went along with that and said, well, yeah, you know what? I mean, maybe she should have gotten it. You know, man, if you're on the end of that, it does become a bittersweet situation because even though you do walk away with the championship, you still feel really bad that you're not getting that kind of backing. And I don't blame her at all for that. Now, listen, promoters are going to do what they're going to do. They already run the organization. No one's going to run Chatri out of there, just like no one's going to run Scott Coker or Dana White out of their respective positions. This is what it is. And they're going to have opinions, too. They're going to have their biases as well, just as everybody else. But what is it about this particular fight that everybody's seeing one way, including the judges, and Chatri and Lee are seeing it the other way? I mean, it's one thing for Lee to disagree with it, but for Chatri to jump on that bandwagon too, that felt a little strange. So I'm not really quite sure where they even go from here. Should uh, they have a fourth fight of some sort with this here to continue this whole situation? And what happens as far as uh, as far as the management situation? I mean. Should Chatri maybe kind of butt out or did he really, you know, just misspeak or uh, maybe uh, should we grant him the grace of allowing him to be wrong? No, we shouldn't. And here's why, Uh, you know, Chatri has been problematic from the start, but he didn't just say he thought that she won. He said he was going to go and and conduct an investigation with the judges. Now, if you are trying to promote fair and fair combat in your promotion, you have to leave the judging to be impartial. So for a promoter to say that he's going to go take it up with the judges, is he planning on overturning the decision himself or something? I just hate where all of this is coming from. And I did watch the whole entire fight and Angela Lee got stomped. In the first couple of rounds, she was doing very well, but those last couple of rounds, she was getting her ass handed to her. And there is no way, shape, or form that anyone should see it for for her. And if you do, you need to have your eyes checked. I mean, what is there to investigate, though? That's the thing that Thank kills you. me. What are you going to do? Like, what exactly. happens in this case? Like, he's going to walk up to him and be like, hey, hey, man, hey, hey, did you score it right? Like, what? But the thing is, is that it almost intimates that he has the power to change things or to influence judging. And if you're promoting fair sport, this is not how you do it. Have you ever heard Dana say, I'm going to go and take this up with the judges. I'm going to investigate what we have seen from Dana and company is when there's an egregious judge like a Mazzagotti or, um, What's the other guy that does the heart hands? Oh, yeah, Yamasaki. Yamasaki. Mario and Mario. We haven't seen those guys back (laughs) in the UFC since Dana said he was going to make it a a mission, a personal mission to make sure they never judged another UFC fight. And and he did that. But he didn't go and have uh, things overturned, overthrown, anything like that. He didn't intimate that he could have any kind of sway with the judging, though. He only had a ref 
taken off. You know? Well, yeah. Like, Wasn't he instrumental in the Kim Winslow thing too? I'm not sure, but I, I have heard, yes, but I'm not sure to be quite honest, but um, it wouldn't surprise me, but still, that's not actually affecting the decision of a fight that's already happened. And that is the the the, the feel I got from Chatri from his comment saying that he was going to take it up with the judges. He was going to go and conduct his own investigation and speak with the judges. Why? Yeah, I mean, there was there was that Macau event that Dana White had, uh, I guess, I, I'm not sure how he had the authority to do so, but there was a judge that was removed. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, but wasn't that because they govern themselves in certain areas that don't have commissions? Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't any regulatory body there, yeah. I don't believe. Yeah. But again, that's at least at the entirely time. different, though, from uh, approaching judges after the fact. It's a big mm. difference. Yeah, that is that is a big because it's already settled at that point, and and there's you know now you're you're saying these things and it's like well how exactly, you know it, it it's facts of favoritism mm -hmm. is what that's the biggest thing right there because you look at the characters that are involved this isn't just a random uh, pairing that you're looking at here and and that's a, that's a shame because it kind of puts a bit of a um, it puts a, a a bit of a stain, you know, on, on what would have been an otherwise, uh, you know, just a performance that we would be talking about. We'd have more uh, more time to discuss the performance and how great that was in that case. But no, we're occupying space with this. I mean, Shatri did everything but pull the sake kubara and throw the flowers on the ground. Oh, come on now. <laughs> 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 All right, so we are going to move on to some other notable moments from combat sports. And I got to start with Connor's weird sparring session video that came out earlier in the week where it looks like he has adapted an animal style of sorts, the way he's like sucking in his stomach and hulking his shoulders over and throwing shots and being really awkward on his feet. I just looked at that and I thought to myself, wow, this is a terrible video to intentionally release because he looks awkward and terrible. I mean, his, I don't know what the hell was going on in that video. Yeah, I don't either. I, I, I don't understand why a guy who isn't even in the USADA pool, which is its own other can of worms, mm -hmm. he just keeps putting out more unhinged stuff. I mean, you know, just more and more just cringe training footage that serves no purpose. Like, what are you doing? Like, this is not somebody that's well. This is this is not even. This is like a, a, a sparring version of a coke rant. You know what I mean? You might as well have just been talking about how you want to open a restaurant. That's that's. There's nothing of any value here. He's just going out here punching this guy bare knuckle, and the other guy going at it bare knuckle. Like, what are you accomplishing? What are you doing? You're not working on timing. You're not parrying anything. What are you doing here? Hey. Showing off his big beefy physique. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I haven't seen anything like that before. Wow. <laughs> now, Patricky Pitbull and Paulo Costa participated in a liver eating contest with a dude that I just learned who he was this past week with mm. a dude named the liver King. And here's what I know about the liver King. Apparently he's a roided out grifter with ab implants that smells bad because everybody that's been in a 20 foot vicinity of him has tweeted to me that he stinks. And that, Oh, no, that can't happen in my area. No, no, no. If you stink, get the fuck on. No, no, no. 
Yeah, so this Liver King guy, uh, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. He is a liar, he is a con man, and he is remarkably stupid. But there's something about this sport, again, that keeps attracting the dumbest people with the biggest engagement. It's just all you got to do is be loud and some kind of sideshow, and we'll let you in. We will let you in. And it's like there, just like Sam Kaplan said years ago, there is no sport that has a lower bar for entry at every level than MMA. What are you doing? You're sitting here eating raw meat with this guy? Like, come on, man. This is ridiculous. All he does is, is do some, you know, motivational, uh, you know, pseudo motivational stuff and talking about living like a caveman and eating a pound of liver a day. I'm pretty sure that would actually not be good for your system. And I'm pretty sure that's bullshit. This guy has to be like smuggling Snickers bars in there somewhere. Like, that's just no. Absolutely not. But this is what made me sad is like, great, now the MMA space is embracing him wholeheartedly. And we're not going to look at anything about him again, just like Hasbulla. Same thing. Yeah. All right. So now we are going to talk about Aaron Pico's insane toughness. Now, we did mention it earlier, but if you have not seen the video, go to Bellator's uh, official account on Twitter because the video is there. And again, Brandon Gibson taking that arm and jerking on it so hard that it literally looks like he's trying to rip it out of the socket not once but twice and then all the other external manipulation that he was doing outside of trying to rip it out of its socket (sighs) made my stomach quiver a little bit yeah it almost looked like he was trying to set up a jack on a on a monster truck so he could change the tire i I don't i don't know what they were trying to do there with that but it's you know after maybe the third pull i was like "Mm -mm, no we're good yeah i i that that was that was it for me i'm like yeah you might as well call it at this point this isn't gonna work and yeah i mean i like you know i can't even i know i know what we said earlier i can't really fault brandon too much for trying to do what he did you do what you what you can you do the most for your fighter but uh no Mm-mm. no yeah now our final thing is a good one big ben rothwell had his bare knuckle fc debut and boy it only took him 19 seconds or 15 seconds it was either 15 or 19 took him a few seconds to finish off his opponent knocked him clean out drew blood Dude's eyes looked like they were trying to focus on two separate walls on opposite sides of the building. Um, Yeah, he looked great. He did. Bare knuckle talent, though, especially at heavyweight, you got to wonder what he was fighting in there. Well, listen, man, I mean, I ain't too mad at it. It's whatever. Like, you're going to get whatever you get. And, and this is uh, this is the reality of what Bare Knuckle is. But good for him, man. Listen, the man has not been getting the love that he wanted. He's not been getting the kind of money that he wanted. Uh, now he's getting both. So I am fine with that. And for all of the criticisms that there are that should be uh, levied towards Bare Knuckle and, and all that, I'm fine with that. I'm okay with it. I don't know if he's getting money, money, because well, Knuckle isn't isn't in the business to be, go broke by paying the Ben Rothwells of the world big, huge money. But I would imagine it's uh, at least on par with what he was making with the UFC, maybe slightly less. But he's got sponsor opportunities now because he did have those uh, that those shorts that uh, kind of look like a gladiator skirt. He had that on, and I did notice some some sponsors on there. So maybe that makes up for it. But I doubt Bare Knuckle is is you know rolling in the dough. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the money game is like there. No, I, I agree there as, as far as that goes. But, hey, look, he's keeping busy and he's getting something. So, hey, if he's happier here than he was in MMA and he's not taking too much damage, good for him. Yeah, and, and the knockout itself was crispy clean, man. I liked it a lot. Good stuff. Absolutely. So on that note, we are going to wrap the show. I want you to do something really awesome, and it doesn't cost you a penny Go follow Victor on Twitter at Vic M. Rodriguez and his Instagram, Victor Sinister Rodriguez, because he is flying out to Miami this freaking week, I think, right? Yep, that's right. This freaking week. So y'all might get some 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 pictures of some real hot babes or some killer food or just amazing landscapes. You never know what you're going to get. He's like uh, a box of damn chocolates over here. I'm going to look great in my mugshot. I know that much. <laughs> And I look for that too. Um, Follow Mookie on Twitter at Mookie Alexander. And his work can be found over at SB Nation's field goal site. And boy, if you've been following him on Twitter, he's been pretty exasperated with his his Seahawks. So go commiserate with him there. Uh, You can follow me at Crooklyn MMA, the show at Level Change Pod. The show is also available on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Level Change Podcast. If you... Listen to the pre-recorded outro. You can hear Mookie telling you where you can find this show and all the other great Bloody Elbow shows. And do visit bloodyelbow.com where you can find my work and Victor's work and a whole bunch of other amazing people's work. So that's pretty much it. Until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow. Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>